Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And joining me from New York today is Chris Campion. He's an author, singer-songwriter. You probably know him best for his off-Broadway musical monologue piece called Escape from Bellevue, uh, which is also a memoir available on Penguin Books. His uh, four-song EP, Spilt Milk, came out last October, and uh, I highly recommend it. I've been listening to it all week. It's a great little collection of tunes. Chris, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for taking the time. Aloha, Brent. Chris, uh, thanks again, man. I know this is going to be a really good chat. Uh, we've gone back and forth, and we were actually just talking uh, off-air about um, you know your song selection and how you came about kind of picking those songs, which is uh, something that I'm super excited to talk about because you did it exactly the right way. Um, oh, cool. But before we get into that, I mentioned um, Spilt Milk, great record. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, I know that you've opened up for the Violent Femmes and M. Ward. You know, I have, my career is kind of like, uh, I have like a two-sided career just to be totally forthcoming. You mm-hmm. know, there was a time in my life when I would just have you believe I was only doing shows where I was presenting my own material. But uh, I do have to do a lot of sort of pub work, yeah. play cover songs, you know. Mm-hmm. So it the narrative online can get a little confusing because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'll play a show and there'll be a cluster of people who show up and they just want to hear my stuff. And they're like, what are you doing in this pub where people are asking you for horrible things? <laughs> Tugging on your shirt sleeve, begging you to play Jesse's girl. Oh, wow. And, and, uh, that's the seventh circle of my hell. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's not that bad. I, I, I love all my joints that I do, but... So I play a lot of I play a residency every month um, okay. in the East Village in New York City at a place called the Eleventh Street Bar. Okay, and everybody kind of piles in there. Uh, it's a great little cabaret space in back, and a um, great friend of ours is on the stick. This guy Dan Sweeney, and he programs the space, and um, and they get a lot of really cool stuff in there. And so I do that one, the last Thursday of each month. And then from there, it's just about month to month. It's about scheduling, but it's mostly all tri-state area yeah. stuff. You know, stuff I can get to and get home and within a three-hour drive. Yeah, you know? when I'm down there, I want to come and see you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do about 250 shows a year. So. Whoa. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. That is a lot. That's, that's good <laughs> news because I can catch you. Yeah, you can catch me. Yeah. Awesome. We'll see what uh, what's setting. You know. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna request some Rick's ring. You can lead the charge. Yeah. You can request all <laughs> request all stuff from this list. <laughs> so this is a great list. So you know we're yeah. we're joking around earlier about leaving out you know Lou Reed, Bowie, The Stones, uh, your favorite band. You know, oh yeah. Even, you know the women. I love Joni Mitchell. So do you. Um, yeah. You know Debbie Harry from Blondie, Chrissy Hind. Sure. But uh, even outside of all of those bands, you came up with a great list here. So, like, what were some of the things that were going through your head as you prepared this list? You and I were talking about this before, but I'm going to bring it up again. It's I went back to like when I was a little kid, yeah. and uh, I used to do this thing where, you know, I came from this big Irish family. It was six kids and. Mm-hmm know my folks so there's always a lot of people in the house neighbors and friends over it was a just <laughs> pretty chaotic fun <laughs> environment but there's always tons of people around and so i really relished the time where we had a pool table in this room with the stereo with the big stereo you know this is going back into the 70s you know and when people were out of the house i would blast it you know and i would put on quadrophenia and you know i would pretend like i was fronting the who <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
and <laughs> and I just really feel like that kid still lives inside me, you know, when it comes to music. And in my head, I still do it. I when when stuff comes out that I love, I still pretend like I'm the guy presenting it, you know, and yeah. getting inside the song and delivering it. And so I, I kind of I, I took that approach, like. You know, almost like a magic eight ball, you know, just like shake myself, see what floats up, you know, <laughs> and uh, and don't worry about how I'm being perceived. Am I cool? Yeah. Do I have enough variety? I, I just had to go about it that way or it wasn't going to be authentic. And the, the revealing thing, the thing I didn't like is that all these composers are middle aged white men. <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> makes me a pretty narrow person. But uh, my first and greatest love is the Rolling Stones. There's, there's no stones on there. There's no replacements on there. The other thing is, I don't know, uh, when you do it this way, maybe this list would change in a year or two. I'm sure uh, new music comes in or other things that you may have forgotten about. But, um, but the one thing I will say is I do stand by the list. And... Um, because each one of these songs fits the criteria. I tip my hat to you because you did this the absolute right way. A lot of people at first blush say, okay, you know, maybe it's my favorite songs, but I don't want to say what the real songs are because maybe they'll be perceived as uncool. So it actually, when you do this, um, it it takes a lot, it takes a lot of thought, but you shouldn't think about it that much at all. (laughs) I mean, you should just, you really can't. It's an emotional thing, you know, and, and the other thing that I think was pretty illuminating was there were two songs on this list, like one or two, that I didn't, I'd never sought out the, the actual meaning of the lyrical content. I'd never, and I'm a person who, who does do that, you know, mm-hmm. because it was the energy of the song. I mean, if you want, we can dive right in. I know, I know exactly the song I'm, I'm referencing here is Electrico by U2. Yeah. I did a little boning up. I'll confess to that. Uh, <laughs> each one of these tunes, I was like, all right, I'll, I was bringing up the lyrics, just seeing if I remembered everything correctly or anything that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then when you do that on some of these uh, sites, you know, they'll have uh, some little synopsis of what they think their interpretation of it was or yeah. some Wikipedia of the song link, you know, or um, as happens, a raging controversy in a thread below of people arguing about what they think it means. Yeah. Uh, which is really just some circle jerk of people's <laughs> egos, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I found myself giggling. I, I, Dude, I giggle every time I read those threads. I, I can't believe uh, some of the spears people Oh, I know. It's, <laughs> yeah. Throw- song i'm like are you kidding me but know, uh man people are serious on those things it's crazy they are man they are they want to be the, the self it's like a volcano self-anger <laughs> it's like <laughs> talking about a four minute song <laughs> exactly you know, but, but you know so i did do some of that and so because electrico to me i'm actually surprised they made the list because you two when it when they came out i was a teenager you know my sisters uh who had a you were a big influence. My two sisters were a big influence on my musical tastes. And they had gone to college and, and done semesters abroad in, in England and Ireland. And they brought back all this cool stuff. And where I lived, I'm from Huntington, Long Island, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the time, this is like going, this is like we're in 1980, you know. I'm 14 and classic rock radio is killing me at that point. Yeah. I was so sick to death of that format. It's like, Get your motor running. 
Get out on the highway, you know, like every every day, you know, like and all the same songs. Every to me, it was just horrible. Oh, I, I know, man. You know, and I was also sick to death of like the whole sort of culture around it. Even you know, I, I was ready for something new, and yeah. So they brought back you know stuff like the Jam and you know Echo and the Bunnymen and you know XTC and all this mm-hmm. cool Brit wave stuff. And then there was a, a radio station that a couple of years after this, I guess maybe two years after this, changed their format. There, there's actually a documentary about it, about WLIR. Have you heard of WLIR? No. It was, a, it was a revolutionary radio station on Long Island in the early 80s, and it uh, launched a lot of these bands. You know, they would play all the imports, and, uh, you know, they... They were this, uh, the, the station that dares to be different. That's great. I love that. Yeah, it's great. So they were actually, in, in this documentary, they're named by Bono on stage as being uh, one of the key components to them, you know, making it in America. They were the first station to play I Will Follow. And wow. I went and saw them, I think, like the fall of 82. But they weren't anything yet. And I just remember this, like, meteorite hitting me when I saw them. And Electrico was one of those, was a song that just, it was just devastating, that outro. And then, I, of course, after that, you know, we all became big U2 fans. And But uh, it was that, it was that version from Under a Blood Red Sky, you know, and I actually pulled it up online and watched it. And I'd forgotten what a cool band they were, you yeah. know. Um, they went on to become U2, you know, and Bono was maligned for a while for being a do-gooder or, yeah. you know, I guess that's what happens, you know, people things get too big and then gravity kicks in people want to pull it down or something but yeah, you know i mean he's come through all that and but electrico it just grabs you by the lapels you know yeah i, I can remember being like a 17 year old kid and listening to the live version of that off under a blood red sky like up in my room and i just wanted to run through a wall you know like <laughs> you know what i mean you know, it, it was really cool to go back and listen to it from that perspective and also remember how cool they were. I mean, they were like this great post-punk. They were totally different, you know, um, yeah. just the ingredients of the band and so like raw and, you know, Bono just banshee wailing in your face. And, oh, yeah. and he was the only guy I remember also that he was he was completely earnest. You know, there was no he wasn't like up there. Uh, dialing into some persona, some rock persona, or mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There was no yeah. veneer. It was just him. He jumped on some guys, like some football player's shoulders, you know, oh. at the show. <laughs> some big dude with a football jersey. And he, without even giving the guy any indication he was coming, he jumped on the guys, like, and wrapped his legs around his hand. They almost fell. Yeah. He's like still singing. And yeah. I was like, these guys don't give a shit, man. They are just laying it down, you know, uh, yeah. without pretense. I haven't seen them for a while. I saw them probably about 10 years ago, but they were a, a super exciting live act. I remember yeah. they, they were one of the first bands that used to just pull people on stage and let them play the instruments. Yeah. And, and this yeah. was like back before anybody else did it. People were like, holy shit, what is this? Yeah. You know? So it was great. It was great to kind of go back and, you know, their evolution, they they end up doing like Rattle and Hum and then they get into American music and people are, not everybody was on board with that because I've never had any issues with you 2 I've always loved what they've done, you know. You know, it was cool to remember what they were. I mean, this was a, this was Delta Force, man. And you get, you know, that, that, that whole 10,000 hours theory of mastering something. Like they came out in 78 
I, I didn't see them till 82, 83. That's six years where they've just been playing and playing and playing. And by the time that Under a Blood Red Sky show came out, I mean, you could see they had been forged by fire. You yeah. Know? Um, so. Dude, I, it's funny that you say that because I just had this conversation with um, John French from Twisted Sister about the 10,000 hours and how important it is to put those in before you, you make it, right? My uh, guitar player, Tom, was saying, we were talking about the Beatles going to Hamburg. And so that's why it was fresh on my mind, too. That's lost on people today. I mean, that's a whole different conversation. I, I, you know, we, we probably shouldn't go down that path now, but I totally agree with you. Chrissy and I, my uh, fiance, we watched the f- part one of that Elvis uh, documentary. You've seen that? No. It's a two-part doc that's, uh, you know, Bruce is one of the people who chimes in throughout. And he says that, he says, you know, when you go out on tour, there's a depth of craft, you mm-hmm. know, that happens. I feel like like when discussing Electrico, there's the version on Boy, which is great, but it's, that's not the version I'm talking about. The version yeah. I'm talking about is the live one when they put in that time. Oh, yeah. You know, they used to do some fun stuff with this song, too. They used to just add little snippets of other songs, as, as they do with others. But yeah, yeah. I used to do that. Two, three, four. You, you know what's funny about that? I'm really glad you brought that up because he does that little improv in the middle. Yeah. You know, on the in the Under a Blood, blood Red Sky, the, the, the live at Red Rocks. Where, you know, he does that. Why must I hide from myself yeah. when I need a crowd? You know, and he does send in the clouds. It send in the clouds, and I almost put send in the clouds on this. Oh list. no way! That's hilarious because when I saw it on your list, I actually thought send in the clouds. That is so I, funny. Oh yeah, I was gonna put the Sinatra version of send in the clouds on this list. Seriously. I, yeah, yeah, I I know. See again, you know. See how I'm perceived. Even you're doing it. No, I I have a similar I have a similar story. Just really quickly, we, you know, I told you before about all my favorite people are broken, and and the songs that really introduced you to your emotions as a as a as a young person, right? Send in the clowns. I saw when I was like seven or eight years old being performed on an award show, and it was the saddest thing that I'd ever encountered in my life until then. And and I was like, wow, this is so profound. Yeah, and I'll never forget it. It is a truly beautiful song. Again, you gotta you gotta listen to it before these things get saturated, or yeah. you know, or or people do schmaltzy versions. And yeah, um, you know, when you listen to Sinatra sing it, and he's one of my favorite guys ever, 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 ever. Yeah, I mean, it transcends you. It's it's amazing how he bottoms into it, and it's good. These are like honorable mentions. Now, at least I gotta I gotta mention in there about that version. It just goes to show you how funny it is that these conversations can go like every which way, right? I had no idea we were yeah. going to be talking about sending the clowns today. Yeah, yeah, but Electrico definitely um, really like really sends me. Yeah, no, oh, it's a great pick. And it's actually, you know, it's funny. It's about electroconvulsive therapy. I know. It, I used to think it was about an electric company, but it's about electric shock therapy. Electric shock, th- shock therapy, which is one of the things I found out when I uh, Googled it. Because I never knew that. So uh, somebody told me that a long what, time. What an authority! What an authority I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after expounding on it for twenty minutes. Uh, <laughs> All right, your next tune is uh, "Neutral Milk Hotel's Two-Headed Boy." Oh yeah. This is a very interesting pick for me. I got, I got into this band about 10 years ago. One of my friends introduced me to them, and I had no idea. You know, you just reminded me about, like, you, you hear songs, you don't know what they're really about. And I found out a little bit later that this is about Anne Frank. Yeah. It's disturbing, almost. 
Yeah. You know what's funny? It's really not. It, it, it can be. It can be if you uh, if you're skinning the cat that way. Mm-hmm. And again, I was going down and reading some of the comments people had to send. There was a few people that actually uh, anteed that up as you know they were like, ah, it's a little just too dark. Or mm-hmm. it's really the the lyrics are surrealistic. The whole record in the airplane over the sea. The album opens with uh, King of Carrot Flowers, which is a great mm-hmm. song, uh, and the whole album is laced with the Dan Frank theme. You know, when I first heard this, I, I, I mean, I was paralyzed, you mm. know, just from the get, it's gripping. The vocal is so intense, beautiful mel- melody on top of that intensity. And it's, all it is is a, is a vocal and a, and a guitar. And, a, and the potency of that is just astonishing to me. He kind of overloads the mic and there's so much emotion governing it that... I mean, it's just, it's like a fire hose, you yeah. know, like listening to him sing that song. Like, I get the feeling he wrote this song, he never had to learn it. You know, anyone who writes songs, you know, there's like a, a tunesmith as, aspect of it where you you work it out. But with this song, I never, I get the feeling that he just came out of him and he doesn't sing it like he has to remember anything. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's like he, <laughs> he came out of him once and that was it. I mean, it's just a devastating, devastating song. Well, I read that he did a lot of these songs just in one take, and the rest of the band was just dazzled by that, staring at him, going, "Wow." That's what it sounds like to me, man. On every single song, and you know, and especially on Two Headed Boy, it just—it sounds like he's dialed into something, and yeah. it's just hijacked him, and he's just going. Yeah. Uh, your next tune is by Tom Waits, and it's called "Innocent When You Dream." God, Tom Waits, man, where do we start, right? Hmm. He's the, the leather lung prince. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never been, quite honestly, I've never been a huge Tom Waits fan, but the one thing I do really like about him is that he just did not give a shit. You know, if you, oh, yeah. his music well, that, s- sounds like he does not care if you like it or not. Oh, and that's a. Which I love. One of the great things about him. I asked my sister about him. I said, who's this guy? Like, he's really cool. Like, and they were like, oh, my God, you don't know who that is? That's Tom Waits, you know? <laughs> so they started playing me some of his stuff. That's when I started getting into him, you know? And then when I moved into the city, there was a place called the Corner Bistro. It's still there. Yeah. And there was a great bartender, a great guy, this guy Dermot. He was a real curator, you know, like, of, like, music. I think, you know, he'd make sure that the jukebox was cool. And, you know, he, he didn't suffer fools gladly, mm-hmm. you know? Like, like you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was real. Like he ruled the roost in there, and, and uh, you know, it's funny. We we ended up opening some shows for uh, Soul Asylum. Those guys used to hang out in there, and they hung out in there because this guy Dermot, you know, would play such great music in there and <laughs> keep the place open late. And I remember hearing "Innocent When You Dream" first in there, and then my sisters they they uh, lived in an apartment nearby. They had it. That song, it just took me to another place. To me, it was like this Brechtian, you know, and almost like something that you could hear in Three Penny Opera or something, mm-hmm. you know. He, it was a modern recording, you know, just like you said before, he just didn't give a shit, you know. No. You know, the way it starts, like, you know, I just, yeah, I should probably just chuck it all and be a Tom Waits impersonator. <laughs> But, you know, I play in the pub and, uh, you know, no one ever knows him. If I do, I, I'll do Downtown Train just to be able to get by with a song. Yeah. With but then everyone always thinks that's Rod Stewart. 
Oh, no. I know. It's a sad state of affairs out there in the general public land. uh, (laughs) The lyrics, they're just so poetic and romantic. Mm -hmm. But there is a little bit of a goofiness to it, if that makes any sense. I think that's common with a lot of Tom Waits' music. I I think he's, and he's absolutely fine with that. Right. It's like over the top by design. Yeah. You know, he's caterwauling it. But the recording itself, just there's such a mood you know, that you're, you're just in it, you know, in the, in the barroom version, it's like you're in that bar, he's on that whorehouse piano, yep. you know, the lyrics, you know, we went dancing through the graveyard, my friends and I, we swore we'd be together until the day we die. I can't say enough about Tom Waits, you know, and, and what he's meant to my life. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I never was a big fan, but I certainly do respect the art, that's for sure. He's got a lot of great songs, too, and other people obviously have done, you know, I mean, Rod had the... Yeah, Downtown Train. Downtown Train. It's funny, I almost, I I love Rod. I'm a a big Rod Stewart fan. He he takes a lot of stick, you know, Stewart does. I I loved him with Faces, obviously. Yeah. But um, a lot of those 70s guys had a hard time adapting to what the 80s was, you know? I thought that he did fine. He and Elton kind of went the way of... uh, real commercial you get into the 80s with rod it's kind of hard to <laughs> i don't think we need to say anything else <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but think about those bands chris there were so many of those bands right like heart uh yeah. like all those bands that thrived in the 70s and then they kind of looked at the 80s and said like how yeah. are we going to get through Aerosmith too Aerosmith's yes there are lo- alice cooper there's so many yeah. i loved rocks you know those like uh those Aerosmith records, the toys in the attic. Oh, the me too, man. Yeah. When I was a kid, and then they're just—they're not even recognizable to themselves. If you go ten years down the line, there. They almost had two careers, you know, like old Aerosmith and new Aerosmith. They did. I, I have a little, kind of a little metaphor when it comes to old Aerosmith and new Aerosmith. That old Aerosmith was like that kind of trashy Jezebel that you brought home after a night of boozing, and then. New Aerosmith was like the prom queen that you were happy to introduce your mom to, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's quite a pendulum swing, as yeah. we know. Those yeah. are two vastly different people. Very. Like, when something was great, like Rod, you know, coming out of the Jeff Beck group all the way through the faces, really up until Hot Legs, like, you know, yep. late 70s, like, whatever it becomes after that, I, I kind of forgive that. Like, I always felt like Dylan stayed cool, you know, and Paul Simon, and there's a lot of people that stay cool, and even Bruce, you know, they maintain their essence, and they keep delivering, uh, even as they get older, you know, yeah. say that about all the blues guys, too, whether it be Muddy Waters, or Alan Wolf, or John Lee Hooker, like people more recently, B.B. King, you know, yep. but some of these others don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and be like, trashing them totally, because if somebody was great for 10 years, and I have those records, then I'm grateful for that, you know. Yeah. Um, so we have time for one more. Maybe what we'll do is we can uh, we'll do another show and, and take care of your other tunes and maybe throw a couple more on here. Can we do that? Okay. Do you want me to pick it? Yeah. I think I'm going to go with Radio Cure by Wilco. Okay. I, I just think it's one of the, the greatest recordings you know of the last 30 years. I really do. Foxtrot's um, a great record. Yeah. You know, when I first heard Radio Cure, I just. Like, I don't think anybody ever wrote a song like that from the inside out where they were that unguarded about it. And it's such an intimate recording, you know, it it comes in, it's it's got that like bass drum thing where it's like a heartbeat that like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And then 
strings, the attack of the strings. It, it's so intimate that did it, did it, did it, you know. And to me, it's it harkens back to the Velvet Underground in the sense that you you could hear that being a Velvet's tune, you know, until the Jeff's vocal kicks in. You know, you can you can definitely see a car a correlation there. To me, it's when he kicks in with that 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 cheer up. Honey, I hope you can, you know. Mm, yeah. Uh, there is something wrong with me, you know. And when he's when he gets to that line, I mean, it really chokes me up. And just the the lyrics, my mind is filled with silvery stars, you know. It's just amazing. I just it's just a really brave song, yeah. you know. It's like you write a song like that, you're like, where am I going to put this, you know, like <laughs> in the set, you know, like when we play tonight, like but he was just unafraid to do that. And the other thing I want to mention here is that, uh, you know, I think Jay Bennett uh, really deserves a lot of credit, too. You know, he contributed a lot of multi-instrumental work. He's creating a real soundscape. Yeah. You know, Jay is no longer with us. I got to meet him once. And, you know, he was a nice guy. Like, yeah. was up in the dressing room at Irving Plaza when they played. And, uh, and I met Jeff a couple times, too, and... You know, he's a he's a real good guy too, you know. But uh, this recording I, I think for like I mean, can you think of another song that addresses these, you know, sort of depression and the and what you know, the chasm that that causes in a relationship and navigating that. I'm sure if we searched ourselves, we might be able to find a few more songs that, I mean, some Elliot Smith or whatever. I think we can definitely agree that it's a super courageous song, there's no question. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's just so beautiful too. Yeah. You know, it's not, and it's the intensity of it. It's it's meditative, and yeah, when the, when it gets into the the course, you know, oh, distance has a way of making love understandable, and you know that like triangle is playing, and yeah. it's it's just the choices made on it. It's a pristine recording, like, and the choices to me, they just knock me over, like how they created that gumbo you know yeah. like we need this here we need that there the soundscape is just unmatched for me yeah tweedy you know is almost like brian wilson in that way i find he just had kind of a knack for saying you know we should do this here it's just kind of a bizarre gift right right and it could be like an oddball choice but then you're like oh my god i can't hear anything else but that now like yeah, yeah wilco's a band like i really feel like they don't get enough credit i don't think for just how important a band they are, mm -hmm. you know, or what, you know, Jeff and those guys, what their contributions been to music. You know, some people would say they're like American Answer to Radiohead, you know, or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and I could have definitely chosen a Radiohead song, too. Next but, last. Uh, yeah, yeah, next <laughs> last. I know, man. I, I, I mean, I love talking to you. I feel a little bad because uh, I feel like I blathered on. and uh, yeah, That's why you're here. Man, it's been great talking music with you you know i i really love the theme of this show oh thanks yeah because it's a real psychological search too you know yeah it's a full psychological search of yourself which is like what's meaningful to you what are the things that hook you yeah. you know what are the things that uh bring you along for the ride and then you can notice a pattern in that you know what i mean and for me it's it's always got to be somebody telling the truth yeah. uh and then there's that other thing of tapping into that collective unconscious, you know. But uh, I feel like, uh, you know, like Rhapsody of a Lyric and the music, like how that brings you along with it. 
You uh, you brought in great songs. You you had the right idea. You had the right approach. You did exactly what I was looking for, and uh, I really appreciate that. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Brent. It's a really great show, and it's it's so much fun to talk about this stuff. You know, um, it's very very enlightening. I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed it uh, certainly just as much as you did. There's nothing I like more than talking music. That's for sure. Me too, man. So thank you. Thank you, Brent. All right, take care, brother. I'll be in touch soon for uh, show number two. Can't wait. All right, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Christopher John Campion. Until next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. 